We are now down to two sermons today and next week on the book of Mark. Uh, If you're visiting, we've been looking at the book of Mark for a year. We took a little little bit of a break in the summer so everybody could get back to hear these these important last couple of chapters. Uh, And what we've been looking at in the book of Mark, right, is the person of Christ and his work. I mean, if you, if you study Mark at all, you have to be fascinated with who he is. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, right in the middle of the book, uh, Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, it's also in 8 that begins to run us to where we are in our text today. And he begins to say, you're right, Peter, but my being God in the flesh is not enough. Somebody has to pay. And the Son of Man has to suffer. And then, at that, at that point, he begins to call his disciples, those who are here today who would profess Christ, that you too, as followers of me, must take up your cross and, and come after me. Now, last week, we started looking at the crucifixion. And what we saw last week is, is the mocking of Christ Not only was he rejected, remember we talked about that, what it's like to be rejected by someone? But on top of that, to be mocked. And uh, and remember last week I said, your heart won't change until you see him being mocked for you. Not just mocked, but he was mocked for you. Now today, uh, there's no way I think I can, as a minister of the gospel, can begin to... to, to convey what we're going to look at today, and that is the atonement. The atonement for you. Because he did atone. He did accomplish something. Now, with that in mind, let's, uh, let's see God's Word uh, as we come to this amazing text that is really the focal point uh, of the Bible. Is here printed in your bulletin. And when the sixth hour had come, uh, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a, with a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. And there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Jose and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and they were also, many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is, this is God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you that we have this account in all the Gospels. And, um, Lord, we thank you that 
in space and time, you did a work that can set everyone here free today who looks to Christ. Father, I am sure that there are those who are struggling to believe, whether they're younger people or whether they're middle-aged people or maybe even those who have walked with you a long time. Maybe they are struggling with doubts and fears and darkness and their foundations have been shaken this week, this year, in the last several months. Lord, we need to know that you're our God, that you're the triune God, and that you will never leave us in darkness, even as you left your Son. Lord, I pray that you would tear down thoughts of arguing with the text. Lord, that you would give the grace to give spiritual knowledge, knowledge which is of grace and knowledge which comes from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open up your word to us to understand a little bit about the atonement and that our hearts would yield toward you. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Uh, Mary Beth and I <clears throat> attended Covenant Seminary. Well, I attended. She went with me uh, in 1983 to 1985. And uh, for y'all that don't know where Covenant Seminary is, it's in St. Louis, Missouri. And so when we would have uh, visitors who would come to visit us, we'd take them to the many sites. But obviously the one we, we wanted to take them to the most was the, the Gateway Arch, right? Right there on the river. And uh, before we would take them up, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but, you know, you can take a little train that goes all the way to the top, and they've got the little windows, and you can look out on the Mississippi side, and you can see Illinois, and look back on the other side and see the city of St. Louis. But before we would take them up there, we, we would take them to see this film that fascinated us. Matter of fact, if I ever go back to St. Louis, I'm going to go see that film again. I bet I've seen it ten times. And what the film is about... Is, is how it was built. Uh, it was built over a 20-year period. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of opposition to it. Uh, I can't remember the names of the gentlemen, but one was a, a, was a, a Finnish-American and the other was a German-American. If you've ever been to the arch, I think it's 640 feet high at the very highest point. But what they did over these years... Uh, for 20 years, they, they made the plans, and, and if you go to the arch, they started on each side, and, and they built it up, uh, and it took three or four years to build it, and of course, the whole film, it just all the, the struggles they had with it, all the problems that they had with it, until they got to the very last day, and the very last day, there was only a, a piece about that big that was to slide in and be the capstone, and it happened to be, they, uh, they planned it to be in October, so it'd be cool. And the reason it needed to be cool because there was aluminum and, uh, or, or metal, uh, stainless steel, and it would, it would begin to, uh, it was expanding. And they, they figured this thing out to the 16th of an inch. It's a really amazing thing. And, of course, we all know that they got it in there, right? And then after uh, that, I, I never forget when, it, when that happened, and there was a flag on it and everybody starts cheering, uh, then the documentary said, and the mission was accomplished, the deed was done. And there it is. 
And there we are, the benefactors. Long after these guys have passed away to go to the arch. And it's still there. And it'll be there, I think, till the Lord returns. So mission accomplished, and we have all the benefits of that. Now, we all know what it's like to accomplish something, don't we? To get a job done. I mean, one of the hardest things, to be honest with you, about being a pastor, you need, really need a hobby other than golf because that just frustrates me. But you don't accomplish that either. But, you know, there's, things are always changing. People might be at a good place one time. maybe. But, but there are certain things that you can go and plant a tree and you go, mission accomplished. And it's done. Well, what we have here in our text is the mission is accomplished. What is accomplished? Well, let me tell you what you need to understand has been accomplished is that sins have been buried. The atonement has been made. And what God has been doing from all of eternity is not missing off one sixteenth of an inch. Jesus Christ said not one dot or, or one crossing of the T uh, will pass away until all is accomplished. I was sorry I was not able to put Psalm 22 in here because we had a lot going on today, right? So I had to knock out my Old Testament lesson. Friends, read Psalm 22. I did take the verse, the first verse, right? You see that on the front page? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who's saying that? The psalmist. Who's he pointing to? Jesus Christ. Read Psalm 22. And if you're a skeptic, you tell me how in the world all that stuff's been accomplished. In fact, I would tell you this, that Jesus Christ, because he knew the word, even though he was to be forsaken, he sees all these things happening around him, and at least that gave him hope because he knew the word of God. What's accomplished? Friends, let me tell you, what has been accomplished is what you need to be accomplished for you, and that is atonement. Now, let me tell you what atonement means before we come to the, the, the verses here. I mean, the points. It's a Hebrew word called safar. Very important Hebrew word. In fact, once a year, they would have the day of atonement. In which the high priest, representing God's people, the only mediator between God and his people would take the blood of the lamb that had been sacrificed and shed it in the Holy of Holies over the Ark of the Covenant once a year. And then they tied a rope around the the high priest in case he didn't do something right. And he enters in and he dies. Now I would suggest that we have lost a real kind of concept of the importance of God being a God who is righteous and just and talking about dotting the I and crossing the T, if he were to slide on any sin of yours, if he is God, and by the way, atheists and agnostics rail against this God, this God who says, I am that I am, if anybody in this room dies because the wages of sin is death, uncovered, you will experience the curse and wrath of God. Because you're not covered. So here we see Jesus 
covering somebody's sin. But we see him doing this after being rejected, after being mocked. He's doing it in darkness, okay? Shattered. So here's what I want to say this morning. Is that true freedom, and I, and I, I can testify to this in my own life, true freedom comes through truly resting in Christ who has accomplished the work of salvation. Do you know that today? Are you free? Uh, well, I, I think I am. I, I, I think I might be saved. I'm not sure. Or you might be going, well, I, are, are you, that sounds very exclusive. I don't, what about all these other people? We're going to see a centurion gets it. The first. A hardened pagan. And let me ask this, what will you, what will you, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, what will you add to what's already been accomplished? Anybody going to add one, one twit to what's already been accomplished? Martin Luther said, and you've heard me quote this many times, the only thing that you can add to the work of Christ are your sins that crucified him. Do you understand that freedom? The freedom to fail the freedom to know that God's never going to forsake you, or you're living the other way around, that you're kind of always struggling to find the freedom by being good and trying hard. Why have you been at Redeemer for a long time and you've forgotten that? So here's what I want us to see uh, as Christ is making atonement in the darkness. I want to see the necessity of the atonement, okay? It's necessary. It's necessary for you that somebody atone for you. You need to be covered. And then I want us to see the accomplishment of the atonement. It's really accomplished. That's the good news. And then finally, I want us to see who are the people who are benefiting from this. I mean, wouldn't that be terrible to ha have all this thing accomplished for you, but you still won't go up into the, into the top of the St. Louis arch because you're not sure about if it's safe or not? So you stay down there at the bottom wondering what it's like to be on top of the world? I mean, you're living like that. So first off, what is the necessity of, of, the, covenant, of the atonement? Well, we see the necessity of it in the fact that there is darkness that's there. And I'll explain that in a moment. But Jesus is on that cross for three, uh, six hours. From nine in the morning... They nail him. And a lot of stuff's being said. A lot of mocking, he sees that. They see him. In fact, I think the reason that the women are here and the reason they're put in the text is because you know, the, the kingdom of God is being opened to those who would never be allowed to enter in. Right? And I hear these glorious women. Uh, one was a harlot and... and uh, I mean, just kind of, uh, they would not be recognized by anybody, and there they are. But they're also witnesses, eyewitnesses to the fact that 2,000 years ago, this man was crucified. Well, they saw it for three hours, okay? But guess what happens at noon, high noon, for three hours? Darkness. Now, it would be one thing to be suffering for our sin, to be forsaken of God, but to be doing that in complete, absolute, utter darkness. 
And you say, well, what's that got to do with the darkness and the necessity of the atonement? Well, in the Bible, darkness always has to do with the opposite of the light. Think about your own life right now, okay? How many things do you do in the dark? Take your computer and you go downstairs. Man, you're in the dark. You don't do it at the library. Somebody might think you're weird. So you do it in the dark. Uh, probably if you say things about people, you do it in the dark. Uh, have you ever noticed if, if you've ever lied to the person you love, and I have lied before, I hate to confess that, once or twice? Or... Oh, yeah, honey, I was a little bit late. I'm sorry, and I was late because there was a wreck. There really was a wreck, but it like took two minutes, and I was a half hour late. And they go, hey, honey, how are you doing? And I know I've lied. Right? And what do you do? You turn your face a little bit. Or for some of you who have had affairs in this congregation. For some of you who have, have struggled with, uh, with, with the fact that you failed. Maybe you failed in business or you lied to somebody. And you go see them and it's so painful. And you turn your head. You see there's darkness. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 starts uh, this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and he separate, God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. You see, there's darkness. And when there's darkness, there's confusion. There's not clarity that's there. I mean, I, I'm so lazy. That I'll start looking for my watch or my glasses and the lights are off. And all i got to do is go across the room. Wham! There they are. Right? The light. The light just exposes things. And you see, when we're not moving, listen, and when we're not moving toward Christ, you're not moving toward the living God. You're moving into darkness. You understand that? Has God really said? That was exactly the question. This, I don't know if I can really believe the Bible. I don't tell you how much Jesus believed the Bible. He's being crucified. Because you know what? He believed the covenant that God made in the very beginning. Adam, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, we have doctors in, in this room. And I thank God for doctors, but you can only do it so good for so long. Because it's not cancer that kills you. It's a symptom. It's not brain tumors. It's not car wrecks. However you're going to die, the reason you're going to die is because the wages of sin is death. And what caused death? The devil. Evil. Now let me tell you right now, if if you're a skeptic, you better start figuring out what you do believe. Because, you see, when you deny the Scriptures, like if you're a teenager right now, and you're starting to go, I don't know. Because you got the Internet, you got all these thousands and millions of ideas coming in. They've always been there. They've always been lies. But when you turn your face away from the truth of God's Word, thy Word is a, a light into my path, then you're moving toward darkness now, let me ask you who are believers today. How many of y'all have been moving into darkness and away from the truth? When's the last time you read the Bible? 
When's the last time you prayed? I'm not, I'm not trying to go, oh, now go pray. Go, go read your Bible. That's not atonement, right? That's do good, be, try hard, and me beat you up. No, 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 no. I'm telling you that Jesus is in darkness because we're in darkness when we're moving away from him. But God doesn't move away from us, does he? He moves toward us. And he leaves the light of heaven. And he enters in. And he came to his own and his own received him not. Because men love darkness rather than the light. You, listen, I'm saying, if you're not a believer, start asking yourself what you love. But I tell you, even the things that you thought promised you life, I will tell you right now, you're already discovering that it's bringing death. And it doesn't mean anything to you. Man, I really loved her. But golly, some of her habits are driving me crazy. That's true of guys too, by the way, ladies, right? But, um, you know, the thing, well, I, the perfectionism, the OCD, and all that stuff that we live in our culture. But Jesus enters in. So that's the first thing to see is that you have to be atoned for because you see, don't you know, don't you know the darkness of your own heart? The natural man, Romans 1. And so because they refuse to worship the creator and worship the created thing, God gave them over. And what do you give them over to? You give them over to your darkness. Are you starting to see that darkness in your own life? You need to be atoned for. Some, somebody has to cover the dark with the light. But here's Jesus being covered in darkness. So that he might take you out of the darkness. So that's the necessity of the atonement. Which, by the way, if you, if, you read, if you read the ten plagues, number nine, right before the Passover lamb is shed, the blood is shed, guess what goes over the land for three days? Darkness. Except in Israel. But the Egyptians, they're in darkness. As a matter of fact, it says in the Hebrew, they felt the darkness. You think Jesus is feeling the darkness? A lot of commentators think the whole world became dark for three hours. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But we're not talking an eclipse here. We're talking about supernatural darkness because judgment is coming. Judgment on who? Your only substitute. <laughs> Your only way out. Because you know what? There's not a person in here, not a person in here who's not an adulterer. If you lust, Jesus says, you commit adultery. There's no person in here that hasn't still. There's no person in here that's kept the Ten Commandments. I remember when I was at Presbyterian, this guy always brought up the commandment about the Lord's Day. Okay, how do you view the Lord's Day? And after a while, I want to say, his name wasn't Bob, but I want to say, Bob, what about the other nine commandments? How are you doing on those? Because the point of the Ten Commandments is to show there's darkness. When God comes on the mountain at Mount Sinai, guess what was there? Darkness and fire. And let me tell you, if you don't see your darkness of your sin now, I'm telling you, you will see it one day. If you have no mediator. Well, here's the second thing to see. is the accomplishment of the atonement. Here he is in utter darkness, separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity. And here's what you're going to see in that darkness. Two things. You're going to see he's under a curse. 
by what he says. And what does he say? My God. My God. My God. Not God. My God. My God. All of eternity. I, mean, I, I can't comprehend this, and I'm not even going to try by raising my voice. <laughs> um, from all of eternity, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, never separate. Perfect union. And now there's forsakenness. You know, I've had to, I've had to uh, counsel some of you who've gone through the pain of divorce. And it's a terrible thing to be forsaken by somebody, isn't it? And the closer you are to that person, and that person all of a sudden pulls the rug and says, I don't love you. Can you imagine what that would be like? To be forsaken. Some of you experience that. You might need to come talk to me. And let's talk about Jesus and forsakenness. But imagine the fellowship that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, has with the Father, and the Father turns his back on him. Cursed. Now, you kids, let me tell you, I remember hearing a sermon about this when I was about 10 years old. And I'd been going to Sunday school class and Jesus healing everybody and, you know, doing the bread and the walking on the water. And, hey, you had little children, you know, pictures of putting little children in your arms. And I thought, man... This, Jesus is, this is, he's awesome. And then all of a sudden I hear this preacher telling me and reading the Bible that said, he's crying out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I remember as a little kid, like, yeah, what is that all about? I didn't understand. You know I didn't understand? Because I didn't understand the nature of my sin and that I'm under a curse because of my sin. And Jesus bore my sin. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him for my sake. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if the Clark County police can give you a ticket, or like the parking ticket I forgot to pay one time, and all of a sudden I get the, like six months later, oh, Mr. Farnsworth, you really do need to pay your parking. I don't recommend doing that, okay? Uh, they found me out. You know what? I had to pay. I had to pay Clark County. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that you will not have to pay for your treachery, for your pornography, for your self-righteousness because you don't do pornography? In fact, I would say the greatest treachery are those who don't need Jesus. God bless you people who are here who have been so broken that you know you need Jesus because he will never forsake you. Self-righteous people will not go to heaven. Religious people will not go to heaven. Only those who are covered. Who Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken for you. And then the other thing that we see in our text is very clear. Is that when Jesus died, he cries out. And guess what happens the moment he dies? And remember, why did he die? Did he die for the idea of sin? Or did he die for the real, actual, specific sins of his people? Friends, he didn't die for a concept. I'm not talking philosophy here. I'm not talking theology here. Jesus Christ died for somebody's sins. And when he did, and he buried those sins, guess what happened to the curtain in the temple? Wham! It was ripped from top to bottom. 
You say, so what's that got to do with anything? Well, if you knew a little bit about the Old Testament, that was the dwelling place of God behind that curtain. And that curtain, ladies and gentlemen, was probably that thick. And remember, it was only the high priest who could go in. But when Christ died and he shed his blood, the Lamb of God, the darkness is over. The Lamb has been shed across the doorpost. And who's ever inside that house with the blood of the Lamb, when the death angel comes, passes them over? And so, Jesus, Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, is the high priest and he has entered in. Any more need for sacrifice? Any more need for your sins to be, Christ to be crucified for your sins over and over again if he said it's finished? Through Jesus Christ, you have access. And not only that, I heard one commentator say this. Not only that, but God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, is let out of the tent as well. <laughs> and he's in the world bringing life to anybody here who repent of your sins and come to Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Now the question is, finally, how do I get this? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll be brief on this point. Curtain's been rent. The temple's desecrated. Now it's ruined. All's over with. Who are the benefactors? Who are the ones who will... What do we see in our text? I kind of alluded to it. Guess, guess who's getting it? Guess who's getting it? A, a Roman... Who's this book written to? Romans. What is Mark said at the beginning in the prologue of the book? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And guess who's not getting it? His people, his disciples, nobody. And guess who gets it? <laughs> A Roman centurion. Now, let me tell you about the Roman centurion and then we close. Roman centurions were bad dudes. They were hardened guys. They had murdered a lot of people. He got in a position that he got in because he was probably treacherous. And so here he is, this hardened guy has murdered a lot of people, and he's sitting there looking at this event. And there's several things he sees. Number one, he sees the way he died. He wasn't like the other guys. Remember the thieves on the cross kind of thrown out ridicule? He took it. He remained silent as a lamb to the slaughter. Why? Because that's why he came. But not only that, usually when guys die, they died over three, three days, and it was just a terrible, slow death. He had only been there for like uh, six hours, and he cries out at the end, and then he dies. He realizes that the Romans didn't kill him. He gave his life, and it touched him. I think I'm going to see that Roman centurion. Now, what did that Roman centurion do to get saved? Does anybody want to say nothing? He was just there. And when he was there and he saw Christ and God opens his eyes, he says, this indeed is truly the Son of God. Let me tell you, dear friends, the gospel is not for those who are here this morning trying their best to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, don't get me wrong. But if you're trying to be like Jesus, 
so you're not like all these other people around here, then you miss it. But if you're the person who's here today, you've had abortions, you've been a fornicator, and maybe even some of you self-righteous people that have ruined your families because you're self-righteous, you're obsessive, compulsive, whatever it is, hardened centurion, come to Jesus. It is finished. What else have I got to preach to y'all? Do good, be good, try hard. No, I want to say, but guys, he's finished the work so we can be like Jesus. Well, he's finished the work so we don't have to be somebody anymore. He's finished the work so we can love our wives and our husbands. He's finished the work so I can go, I don't really care what you think about me. Because let me tell you what God thought about me. His son was crucified for a guy like me. So I don't care what you think. Dear brothers and sisters, y'all want to hear the gospel here? Repent. Come to Christ. And for you doubters, oh, may he be covered, may he cover you one day because you do not want to be covered with judgment. And you will be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord, our, our great God and Savior. And so now, Lord, we come to the Lord's table to celebrate, to hear you, Lord Jesus, through your servant say, this is my body, take and eat. Convert people today, Lord. Move them away from trying to keep the law. The law was, it was here to kill them so that they would be pointed to the Passover lamb who's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead and coming again one day soon. Lord, give us grace to submit our lives to no other than him. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If those helping with communion would come forward.